and welcome to Therapy Tales podcast, episode 20, with me, Dawn Moulton, the human therapist, and... I'm Jess Prost. Wow. I'm the victim. The victim? Oh, maybe you're the victim. Am I the drama? <laughs> I've, been, I've been winding Dawn up again. Okay. She's annoyed. Not that Dawn ever gets annoyed, but... No, I don't really. Um, so, today's going to be a funny podcast. I've had all the fun out now. It's all serious. Show me off when you started. I started talking over her, uh, pressing the button. What were you talking about today, Don? Apart well, from us uh, sneaking in food from Greg's next door. Are we allowed to say that? Nobody's from Starbucks listens to like, us. You never know. We have wide-ranging. What is it? Listeners. That's it. I actually a thought about the listeners because we are getting more listeners telling us that. You know, I've never met you, but I listen to you, which is really cool. But also, I think they think that we're speaking about them. Most people are, are listening again because that, they is, think that, that we're is human nature. So human nature will always be that you think I'm speaking about you. What's that? That song really annoys Tune in, me. Just in case. Um, you're so vain. I bet you think this song is about you. Really annoys me. It's such a logic. Do you think it's about you? Well, it's like that's the point, right? So the song is you're so vain. You bet. You th- it's just, I can't. I get stuck in a, an infinite logic loop whenever I hear that song. I'm like, but 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 it is because you've just said, and I uh, just, I honestly, driving mad. Does your does your head go boom? <laughs> Logical head goes boom. So why are we so self-obsessed and narcissistic? What well, happens? Everything has to be has to mean something to you. So whenever you listen to something, your brain's matching to your own personal experience. It's just absolute human nature. I think we can teach kids how not to have that. No. Really? No, I think it's part of that survival thing, right? If you're looking out for something that's going to hurt you, then you have to be on alert and you have to be matching to your own experiences. So we, we learn by experience. We react based on experience. So by definition, anything you listen to, watch or observe, you're going to do it, make it real to you. Which is why I like doing my talk, by the way, because the goal of me when I do a talk is to get people to stop listening to me. To stop listening to stop me. Stop listening to me. Huh? Because I'll say something and everybody will go in their head, they'll think of their own story. You know, have you ever had a time where you were oh, told off by a teacher? I see. And then suddenly nobody's listening to me because they're all thinking of a time where they were told off by a teacher. So why would I ever worry what people think of me when I'm standing up in front of them talking? Because they're not thinking of me, they're thinking of themselves all the time. And that is like the ultimate freedom, right? Is realising that you're just not that powerful enough to make people think about you. So. The downside of that is inevitably, when you do something like this, everybody's like, oh, that must be me. Even though you might have five criteria and only one of them matches, you're still going to go, they're probably talking about me, right? That's probably me. Because actually what we're talking about is relatable subjects that everybody can think of and has meaning to them. Jess is scoffing a yum-yum. I recently learned that yum-yums are Scottish. I just assumed they were American. I'd never heard of a yum yum before I came up here, oh. and I just assumed because they're donut based, they're American. And I was out with my uh, a Scottish friend the other day, and I've got her a yum yum, and she's like, "Oh, this reminds me of when I was like three years old, and I used to get a yum yum with my mum after we'd been to uh, to nursery or something." I'm like, "Really? Like 30 years ago or something? You had yum yums?" So she's like, "Yeah, they're Scottish." So those who listen who do not live in Scotland, do you know what a yum-yum is? Well, they've already started talking in their heads about their own personal experience of yum-yums. I said donut, and everybody's thinking about donut, right? Would you like the other one? Um, I'll, I'll not eat while I'm talking. Well, I was I'll, talking I'll, so you could eat. I'll cover them up so that I don't eat the second one, because I do that. <laughs> I eat until it's gone. It's really bad. Yeah, I'm not bad a habit. huge fan of yum-yums, actually. I'm not a sweet tooth. Really? Yeah. I'm a savoury person, not a sweet person. Okay. Not sweet I'm the opposite. I'm not sweet. 
Um, so, so what we were going to talk about today, uh, we were going to talk about oh, Stockholm Syndrome. Yes. What if all dogs have Stockholm Syndrome? We better introduce what Stockholm Syndrome is. Yes, so I was going to ask you to Google it so you can describe it. Oh, okay. So that you can find a, a nice, tidy way of saying it. Mine may, might be a bit messy. Yours are going to be messy. Does that mean you don't know what it is? No, I do. I know, I, I know where <laughs> I, I actually studied it at one point for where it came from because it's, um, it's what happens when you've been a hostage. It came from an original uh, hostage situation and the hostage identifies so much because of their close proximity to their hostage takers that um, even when the, they are no longer a hostage, they have bonded with that person and protect them. So just calls it a psychological bond between hostage and captor. So yeah, I thought this for a long time because um, of the amount of dogs that I've lived with that are not mine, they come in, they go. Um, so the dog's natural instinct is to bond with humans. So very few of them will not. So there was one recently that was just not interested whatsoever and, and combine that with aggression, that's really tricky. And then I have to test that, is it, is it me? Am I the drama? Yeah. Or is it everybody, you know, other humans as well? Um, but yeah, most of the time, within about three days, the dog will transfer its affections onto me. And therefore, you know, when it becomes so in tune and so attached to the handler it's working with, it's kind of like somebody who's kept as a hostage, because it can't go anywhere, can it? That's the whole point. No. <laughs> and then it's, it's like psychologically conditioned to be with me. And, and we like that, right? Because it makes us feel special. I was talking to somebody on the walk today about the difference between that and cats. Did you, you were doing a talk about um, feeding on the walk today. And you started off talking about um, people who just let their cats have the auto feeders and eat whenever they want to and how feeding kind of creates this relationship. I know where you are, I know how much you're eating and, and all that sort of stuff. And we, were, we ended up talking about the differences between cats and dogs in that, you know, that cats, uh, dogs are kind of looking to you for treats, rewards, love, attention and all that sort of stuff. There is a, there's a bond and a relationship. And I think why people don't like cats so much is because that is not such an obvious relationship with a cat, even though they do, but it's not. That one day they might kind of go, yeah, 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 you know, I want to do it for a treat. And the other day they might go, well, I care about that. I've got my own stuff to do. You know, it's, it's a bit hit and miss with cats. But... So yeah. I'm just reading here about the four key components which characterise Stockholm Syndrome. Okay. So um, the development of positive feelings towards a captor. Okay. No previous relationship between host hostage and captor. Okay. The refusal by the hostage to cooperate with this is police and, and authorities, yeah, yeah. but you know other people I can imagine, as in if it was a dog. And the hostage's belief that the captor is no longer a threat and the victim holds the same values as the aggressor. That's a really interesting one, isn't it? I yeah. think that's the, that's the crux, is that you've changed the way you see the captor. It's all that perception. Yeah. And, and and I guess you get that, you know, this is going to be light because I was just going to you get that in abusive relationships. Yeah, well, it lists relationships here. So it happens in human trafficking, sexual abuse, terrorism, financial repression, political repression, economic repression and religious persecution. Of course, yeah. but also I guess why people, I've always been really fascinated why people are so into their, their nation, like whatever nation they're from, they're like, I will die for this country. And I'm like, I don't really have that. Yeah. So and I don't have it by the way, because I wasn't born here, but yet I would consider myself Scottish. So, and my parents are not Scottish, so I don't have that kind of like, oh my so God, Scotland. Identity is a really interesting one for that. 
right? So it's all part of identity. So I'm, I'm the same, by the way. And you know, I used to do a job that involved traveling all over the world. And, and it wasn't traveling all over the world to go and visit tourist sites. I was working in companies with the people who worked for those companies to drive a change management process. So okay. we were overhauling the whole company culture a lot of the time, um, the way they did things. And so we had to get to know people really well. We were looking at things like um, time off sick and holidays and how managers managed performance and gave feedback. So, you know, far more than just a surface level kind of stuff. So I would go into a company, we'd do an assessment of where they stood against the key criteria, and then I'd work with them for one to two years afterwards. And then we'd reassess to make sure that they'd, they'd met the standard and then every year they'd have to keep meeting it. Um, and this was in the call centre space, so it's very metrics driven. But, but what it meant was, um, kind of overnight, I went from kind of training some techie boys in Watford, you know, and I say boys because we were doing tech support on Microsoft products and PlayStation and stuff, right? It was mostly boys. Um, you know, and it was just that very uh, young, fun um, culture. And I went overnight from doing that to then having to train uh, customer service reps in Dublin who weren't technical at all, could barely use the computer, to then having somebody work for me in the Netherlands, in Germany, in France, in uh, Denmark, I think it was. You know, I, I ended up with a global reach working with an American organization. Um, so like overnight, now I'd always had a belief that when you go to a country, you aren't like obnoxious enough to assume that they're gonna speak your language, you learn their language. But it was a bit of a challenge for me because I had to go to France, Germany, and the Netherlands in a week, <laughs> and you know, work with all these people. And when I worked in Dublin, it was really interesting because um, they speak English, you know, and, and I'm Welsh, right? So I was born and brought up on Anglesey in North Wales. Spent a year or two out of it, but most of the time was Anglesey, North Wales, and it's a ferry from Anglesey that goes over to from Holyhead to Dunleary, which is Ireland, and. Um, that's how most people know Anglesey. So when I started working in the Dublin office, I would go and I would talk to them about what they needed to do, and then I would go back to my office in Watford, and then nothing would happen. So I went back out again and tell them what to do, and then I'd go back to my office in Watford and nothing would happen. And I kind of addressed it with my boss, and my boss says, well, you just need to go out more. So I went out more, but eventually ended up Monday to Friday being working in Dublin. For 18 months I did that. and. The guy that ran the office in Dublin, I would kind of go to say, look, I've asked that team to do this, and they're not doing it, <coughs> excuse me, they're just asking me to do it. And he turned around to me and he says, well, you're Welsh, you should understand how it works. And um, so the thing I learned quickly about the Irish culture is they didn't like being told what to do, but um, if you made it their idea to do it, they would do pretty much anything for you. I mean, I loved working in the Dublin office. It was a fantastic experience, but it was hell on earth in terms of trying to get change put in place across the whole call center, while the boss is just saying, you do it, Dawn, and me knowing inherently that they need to do it themselves if it's gonna stick. So, so I, I learned a hard lesson. I learned to kind of suck it up and just go with it. And then, um, I had to work, the next office that we went to try and get the same certification in was um, Paris, right? So now, I have to go work in the Paris office. Parisians 
uh, are different to the rest of France a lot of the time. They have they have a different motivation, but there are huge amounts of laws in France about employment law and things like that. In fact, I'm watching Emily in Paris at the moment on Netflix, and it's so funny because there's so much of it reminds me of my time in, in France. Particularly, you know, the pain au chocolat fresh from the bakery first thing in the morning, but not being able to get a decent coffee to go with it. Oh my God, couldn't get it. It's all strong. Strong coffee. Don't like strong coffee. Anyway, um, so working in the Paris office, the guys in the Paris office, so, so again, you know, I went into the office and I said, look, I'm going to do my best to learn French, but it's a bit tricky because I've got a short space of time, but I'll do my best. And they were like, they really appreciated that I did that. And I actually got to the point by the end of nine months where I could speak English and they answered in French and I'd understand them. So they speak their language, as long as it was in the call centre. When we went out for lunch, it got very confusing. <laughs> I speak call centre French really well. And actually one of the worst experiences of my life was at the end of the week when you've done the certification, you did a readout to tell them their results. And because it was in the Paris office, I was, I'll do the readout in French. So. I wrote a script. I never worked with a script, right? I, don't, I never read scripts. So I wrote a script, and I got most of it in there, but the guy that was working for me, the French guy, translated it for me to make sure it was right. And then I stood up there and I read it. And I got it all wrong. All the intonations were on the wrong place, all of this sort of stuff. So I had a French guy translating my French to the audience while I spoke it. And they were very happy. They were delighted that I made the effort. For me, it was just about the worst experience of my life. I'm like, oh my God, this was so stressful. But, but for them, what they needed to do was they needed to um, compete. They wanted to be the fastest. And they did, they managed it. They wanted to be the fastest to get this certification in the whole world. That was their motivation. And so we managed to get them to do it. Germans, Dusseldorf office, right? So go to the Dusseldorf office. Hi, you know, I'm in charge of that, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to do my best to learn German. They're like, oh. did my best to learn German. Call centre German, wasn't too bad by the end. Um, but you just let them get on with it. You told them what they had to do, they did it, they did it right, and they did it on time. And it was just, and they asked you if they had any problems, but they just, they just got on with it. And it was just like, so easy to work with the German office, it was unbelievable. They're highly disciplined. As a nation. Uh, really? So, you know, but actually, you know, the funniest person that I've ever met is the German guy who worked for me in, in the Dusseldorf office. It, it was just like, had us all in stitches half the time. They're just lovely people to work with. But all the places have been of lovely people to work with, but they're all so different, right? So then, I'm thinking, like, we're not allowed to stereotype, but at the same time... There's definitely stereotypes here. Right? And, and why would that not be allowed? Like well, stereotypes come from a common pattern. That's all stereotypes are. So the problem with stereotypes is not the common pattern. It's that I then would treat you, because you say that you, you're German, you're born German, right? So I'm going to go, I'm not going to treat you like your stereotype. That's the problem, as opposed to seeing Jess. The problem is that I now automatically change the way I interact with you based on what I know about Germans. Which I guess is is sometimes going to work like for, for example pattern, well, right? yeah i'm thinking about like a religion um yeah. somebody would want a different type of respect or, or an example would be um like hand gestures some countries that are really rude to use certain hand yeah. gestures yeah. like waving is rude and stuff yeah um so you would treat them and so an individual might go no no i'm fine with that or an individual um might not fit their stereotype yes but generally, they're yeah. going to, right? So if you want to fit in, if you want to work with a country, if you, it's particularly like what I did, the stuff that I did, um, you need to know the stereotypes, you need to know the culture, and you need to know what is and isn't acceptable, because the last thing you want to do is offend people. But 
doing a change process requires getting the best out of people as well. So if I went into Dusseldorf in the same way as I treated the guys in Dublin, it would have been chaos. They just they hated it, you know. Whereas if I went to the guys in Dublin, like I went to the guys in Dusseldorf, they would have been like, I've got nothing done, right? And it took it took me a while to learn how to spot the things. So I went to the Netherlands. And I've spent most of my time training in the Netherlands. I've been in every part of the Netherlands. I spent about two years working and training people, both um, as a consultant and, and in the company I worked for. And I went to the same same thing in the Dutch office. I'm going to do my best to learn Dutch. And they turned to me and they went, why? Because <laughs> the Dutch speak German, French, and English and Dutch fluently. They have a huge advantage in business. The Dutch are somewhere in between all the other people I work with. They kind of quite laid back um, and actually the, the Dutch office was the only office we never got certified. <laughs> wow, because they're so laid back they don't care. They, they, were, they were laid back but they, they, they weren't as laid back as the Irish were, it, it wasn't in the same way. So I, I don't know whether the, the aspect of national pride and stuff. So I then worked in India. So we had the call centres in India and so we went to work with the call centres in India. and. and we assumed certain things. We assumed that they would, um, we wouldn't have such high levels of sickness because everybody would be really glad to have a job. Um, that was the wrong assumption. Um, we assumed that we wouldn't have so many levers because everybody would be really glad to have a job. That was also a wrong assumption because people took the call centre jobs as stepping stones to get into the blue chip companies. Ah, okay. Um, but there was a cultural difference in India as well. And the cultural difference in India is that they were all very willing to do anything for you, but they would, um, if they struggled, they would never tell you. They would never tell you it hadn't worked or it wasn't working. They would never ask for help. You'd find out on the deadline if you weren't careful, have you done this? Oh no, we didn't know how, so we haven't done it. So in India, you had to micromanage them massively and you don't like to let you down do they? yeah they didn't want to let you down they, they like so I, I once went in to do an audit and an audit involved I would sit down with random people listening to the calls observing the process and I'd be looking for pattern matching and then I would ask them things about you know what targets do you have and things like that then I sit down with random managers and I say what targets do you have what happens if they fail and we just match up did it happen so at the first level it was just observation typing away while I was talking to people making them feel at ease and and mostly everybody would be bricking it knowing that somebody like me was going to come and sit next to them I usually had a really small sexy computer so we could use the computer as a talking point and things like that I even had an infrared keyboard at one point that just beamed the keyboard down and it was just like really cool so I always had something that kind of distracted them from what I was there to do so we always had quite a good laugh but they didn't know that they expected an auditor to sit down next to them and test whether they were doing their job properly so they were all super nervous and so nobody wanted to see me right nobody wanted to be the one that I picked except in India in India a group of people I was offered to get my coffee which in India they had a boiling pot of sweet milk and a boiling pot of unsweetened milk and then a boiling pot of coffee and you just go and they just scoop it in instant lattes it was really interesting um, so I was off to get my coffee and then this team leader came up to me and said um, are you going to get to talk to us today and I said I'm really sorry I've kind of run out of time seeing everybody I need to see and she was just like well it's just that we've, we've all stayed behind so that you could talk to us and there was like 10 team leaders who it was two hours past their shift end and they deliberately stayed so they could talk to me and when I said, oh, I'm really sorry about that, I said, well, we'll join you for coffee so we can ask you questions about what you're doing and how it's going. 
<laughs> it's just like I ended up spending like an hour talking to all these guys about how it worked and everything. It's like, wow, they actually want us to talk to me. It was so nice. So, so Indian culture was really interesting for change because they just want to please. They just wanted to do it I right. I find that really fascinating that um, they will lie to try and please as well. Ooh, but they will, or it's like it's like a white lie because they don't want to offend or hurt yeah. your feelings. Which is very British in many ways. You know, I we, suppose so, we don't yeah. want to. So we we talked about this with the, you know, when a dog comes running up to you, why don't you just say, you know, swear word, That's get rude, your dog yeah. away from me. That's rude. I don't want your dog. But a British person will find it really hard to say. That is not okay. Take your dog away. You know, you won't. Be a, you, you, you kind of will be direct. But a British person will go, oh, I'm really, I'm sorry. I'm just, it's just me. I'm a bit anxious about it. Would you mind awfully taking this dog that's terrifying the hell out of me and, and just backing off? And then, so that gives the other person room to not hear properly. You know, they kind of, we talk in nuances, we talk in sarcasm, and we talk around things. We don't say things directly. So, you know, it, it's interesting that the, the Indian culture is so respectful of the British people that they don't want to offend. And the, a lot of people say the Indians don't understand English well. Well, they understand English perfectly. They have no problem with speaking English. What they don't understand is sarcasm. And every single British customer you speak to is going to be sarcastic. <laughs> right? So there was one, one audit I was doing and... Um, the company had just moved their email from a free platform to a paid-for app, and a British customer had phoned in to this Indian guy and said, um, you're charging me more money and you're giving me less. And the Indian guy went, you're right, sir, I'm sorry, sir. And I was sitting there going, oh my God. Um, but the, the, you could hear the, the cogs going in, in the guy's brain, right? He was like, hang on, this company has just admitted they're screwing me over. So I'm just going to say it again, just to make sure. So he said it again in a different way, and the Indian guy went, you're right, sir, I'm sorry, sir. And this was like, oh, my God. But, you know, because they've been told to not disagree with the customer, tell them they're right, and, and they just hadn't, he had no idea he was taking it as sarcasm, he was taking it literally. So, so that's a really interesting culture to work with. And then um, Egypt, another interesting culture to work with. So Egypt is a lot more culturally aligned than India is, because you know, of German, French and British occupation, a lot of them go to the schools. Um, so the Egyptians, the time difference is not so dramatic um, and they do work a lot better and they are also really hospitable, really enthusiastic, their English is fantastic and they understand sarcasm. So um, a colleague and I went into a Costa Coffee in, in Egypt, so it's 6th of October city near Cairo. and. Um, they serve you there, you know, everywhere else you kind of had to go and get it yourself, but in Egypt you had to sit down. So we sat down, the guy comes over and he's like, can I get you coffee? And he ordered a cappuccino, I ordered my latte, and, and then the guy says, do you want any flavouring with that? And my colleague, who is a sarcastic twat, said, yes, coffee please. But the guy laughed, right? Now in India, they wouldn't have laughed. They would have said, well sir, it's already got coffee flavouring in, do you want more? That would have been the difference. So it was really interesting for me. So I, I always said that if we were going to train up the advisors in the call centers, we should show them things like Eddie Izzard videos, Billy Connolly and stuff like that. We should show them our comedians so they could understand. Because they actually show them like My Fair Lady and things like that. I think they genuinely think we were riding around on horses with big dresses and things like that. Wow. So, but you know, you have to understand the cultural stereotypes and then you have to work with the individual. But if, if you want to do change, kind of that pattern that goes with it. So, <laughs> I, I grew up on Anglesey. I went to 
school in Stockport. I lived in Stockport for about a year. So when I went to school in Stockport, I was Welshy. Everybody called me Welshy. That was my nickname. As soon as I went back to Wales, I was never Welsh again. Never Welsh again. I was English from that point onwards. I was never treated as a Welsh person. So my identity got really confused, right? Am I Welsh? Am I English? Where do I come from? I'm not English. I don't feel English at all. But the kind of... And I do have a certain pride in Wales, but not the kind of level of pride that I think people, Welsh people or English people or Scottish people have. I find it equally baffling. Look at that. I actually leapt round to the subject we started on. I never do that. So um, the, the interesting thing for me is the... Sorry, I'm trying to formulate words. Okay. I've had too much sugar, so now, now I'm trying to calm my, my speaking yum, yum. down because I just get Brain's a little like, carried away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I'm, I'm thinking about dogs. Mm-hmm. Are you? <laughs> oh my god, I'm such a horrible geek. Um, I need to get other hobbies, don't I? I did spend some time in my bonsai garden yesterday. I was doing some trimming of my on? miniature trees. It's coming on great. They're all growing. Um, so I'm thinking about dogs that are living with people that have been abusing them. So I've mm. seen some pretty horrendous things, as you can imagine. Yep. What's coming to my mind is watching somebody physically, as a, a junkie, physically hurting a dog, battering him, yep. really, really roughly moving him around. And um, he was kind of out of his mind, the guy, and we just wanted to get the dog away. But the dog's cowed, but he would rather be with his owner than come to a stranger. Even though he doesn't know the yep. stranger's not going to hurt him, yep. he would rather be with his owner. So that's proper Stockholm syndrome, where you, where um, you yep. know, this, this is safety. Um, and then thinking about different cultures, we're free generally, especially you know, to to move. I'm thinking about Europe now. Yep. <laughs> Maybe we're not so free now. I don't know. Can we go to Europe? Are we allowed to just go to Europe? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, we were free to just go to any country we chose to live in without having to be too much bothered about our passports. Mums had to um, choose a passport because choose a choose a passport choose a country because yeah. Germany won't allow dual passports now okay. Germany went decide who do you want to be <laughs> I think it's quite funny um, so we were free to move yeah. around and we could have lived anywhere um, and a lot of people that I know did choose to travel but most of the people I know that travelled a lot of people went to Australia came back because of the cultural differences because yeah. it's a wee bit you know, not everyone's going to enjoy, um, enjoy it nice to have a trip nice to stay there for a bit but ultimately you know we all seem to come back to what we is normal I suppose a survival mechanism I, don't, I, I think it's that whole brain doesn't like change we don't like things that are different it feels uncomfortable and it there are some people who constantly put themselves into different situations and I guess that is some sort of familiarity in itself to always be in something different I'm the same, you know, I've travelled all over most states in America I've been to, I've been to big swathes of Canada um, and all these other places, you know, Scandinavia. It seems really dire oh. that you ended back up here. And I, I've chosen, <laughs> I wouldn't want to live anywhere other than the UK, you know, because of the quirks, because of the differences, you know, the UK's familiar, I'm not saying it's the best, but it's not the worst either, so... I think it's the worst. Where would you live if you could live anywhere? Probably a Europe, like probably France or Germany. Okay. Because, yeah, they're just more um, forward-thinking, I think. I think France has huge issues with um, labour laws and things like that. So, um, you know, they can strike over everything in France. They struck when I was there. They were striking over filling the cash machines. Wow. Um, The reason that the meteor, the um, unmanned train, runs is because the train drivers went on strike so often. Wow. Um, So yeah, they strike over pretty much everything in France, and their labour laws are brutal. I mean, there's like 
four day working week or something like that and it's really hard to fit in around it. I'm having a thought now because it kind of caught me off guard but I'm going to go with Switzerland because okay. chocolate, clocks, expensive. army knives, they're neutral in all wars, so do you know? Really expensive. That's okay. I don't know why that's okay, but that's okay. Mountains and, and I mean, Imagine they get paid more to live there and stuff. Mm, that's like saying you get paid more to live in London. No, oh, okay. It doesn't really work that way. I could find a rich sugar daddy. That's what you need. Yeah. Am I too old to have a sugar daddy now? No. Okay. No. Phew. <laughs> Life goals. <laughs> sugar daddy and lightbox. Okay, so when... I'm going to ruin your life now. Like literally, <laughs> going to ruin your life. So when you were talking earlier, so yeah. a couple of things happened. You first mentioned that when you stand up and talk in front of audiences, you know they're all thinking about themselves mm-hmm. and therefore the pressure's off of you. Mm-hmm. But when you talk, or when most people talk to me, I'm imagining them in that situation. So I had a, a view of you while you were talking about France, of you in the, the fancy dresses. You were Emily, basically, okay. ordering the pasta. Yeah, so that's, that's how my brain works. Yeah, that's all right. Is it? Yeah, because you're making it real to you. But you're in it. And you're, That's you're okay. like, I'm not thinking about me, I'm thinking about you there. Yeah, but, but you, that's not going to match what is going on in my head, right? No. So They're not thinking about me and how it relates to me, because I've not, I've not been in that situation. I've been no. to France, but I haven't been in that situation. So yeah. you're in my head walking around with frilly dresses on, yeah, dancing I mean, to yeah, music. And, and how much about me says frilly dress? <laughs> So, so you think you're tra- you're trying to say that you're imagining me in that, but that's not me, right? Because ha- ha- how many times have you seen me or pictures of me in a frilly dress? Yes. So you've matched it to your experience. So Emily in Paris, you've matched it. She dre- it dresses in an interesting way. You've matched it to concepts of Paris and Paris couture and all that sort of stuff. You know. Um, so it's not you any longer. No, no. And I was actually significantly slimmer. That was my slimmest point. Um, I was kind of a size 10, size 12. I feel like I should describe Dawn now for people who never met Dawn. Uh, Don't even do that while I'm listening. She always dresses in black. (laughs) Sometimes she's got a a bright coloured jumper, a t-shirt on. She's always got interesting t-shirts. Sometimes I learn things from your (laughs) t-shirts. I do always wear interesting t-shirts. Today she's got a a kitty that's bursting out of her t-shirt. That's a new one, have you seen that one before? No, it is a new one. Were you a goth when you were younger? Hmm? Were you a goth when you were younger? No. Did you not go through a goth stage? No, I didn't go through stages. You're either a goth or a gamer, so I've just picked one. Um, I was a computer geek. Yeah. So, um, I, get in, it. <laughs> I went to the computer, I did computers A-level. I did computer class because it was in a different building and it meant you could go there during the break. My computer teacher had an Apple Mac SE2, which was one of the first Windows, I'm doing air quotes, Windows computers. And it was like, whoa, look at this, you know, a graphical interface-based computer. Um, and then I did my A-level in computing and my first degree in computer studies. So just to tie us into a couple of episodes ago, mm-hmm. we were speaking about... I've got so many things now in mind as you've been speaking. Because you speak so long. Today, you've been speaking so long. So I've got like five million things now. going on again. Five million things to talk about. So um, what did we do a couple of episodes ago? I don't know, I just don't know what triggered in your head. I know, it's, it's just comes and goes. So we were just talking about geeks, computer studies, we were talking about... I never had a games console. I didn't have, I never got a Spectrum or ZX81 or anything. Um, the girls that dress like boys. So yes. I would describe you as a tomboy. Yes. Um, 
would you have said that if you were a child now, growing up in schools, that you would do the same as your daughter's doing? Almost definitely. Wow. We didn't talk about boys last time. We kind of singled the girls. Because it, it's not it's not part of the trend. So there's not a lot of boys that are doing not the not as then. part of the trend. Wow. Um, it's a genuine um, hating their bodies, not feeling like themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not part of because um, you know a boy who wants to become a girl is not going to use an anime girl as a role model. Sure. Because so, it's so yeah, feminine. It's, it's not. Part Would you of describe that. yourself as a woman? I'm going to trigger Don now. You're not like, triggering me. I, I, like don't to... dis- I don't ever describe myself as a woman. Really. And so if you were to describe a woman, how would you describe a woman? What is a woman? <laughs> Jess is doing this deliberately because we've had a conversation about this. Yeah. And you know I can't do that. You know really? I don't, well, you know, you asked me. Am I a woman? Yes. Okay. Describe my... What, what makes me different than a man? Just a dawn therapy session there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just everybody going, oh my God, how fucked up is dawn? Um... So for me, a woman is is a female body. Do you think that some girls that are going through this feel the same way that that women are things that we should avoid being? I, I think what is it that's negative about this? Well, the, the, there is a risk in being female. I mean, you look at all the um, anti-abortion stuff that's going on. Um, you know, that uh, rich white men once more can pass a law that a woman can't do what she wants to with her body. There is well known that women get paid less for equivalent jobs across the UK. Um, and they're trying to sort it out, but it's still nowhere near sorted. Um, so it is. So woman is weaker. Woman is, is yeah. Woman is a negative. Is vulnerable and weak, and um, yeah, has no power. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, the, and if you're a, a young girl, and you see, you know, boys being treated one way and being given anything and any options, and you're not, then why would you not want to change lane, right? I want to be in that lane because that lane's more fun and I get treated better. But you don't because you're treated like a girl who dresses like a boy. And so for kids, it's very black and white. You're either a girl or a boy. You're not a middle person where no, you just don't no. want to be anything. It's rare to have, there, there is non-binary, but they find that they really struggle to find a place. Perhaps the government needs to um, be made aware that there's a, it's, it's almost like a very natural evolution of um, kids going, I'm rebelling against what you've created. Yeah, I think it's really, I, I, and I think natural is a good word for it, I think it's natural to explore your identity. You know, I, I am a big fan of people being healthy about their sexuality. I think uh, certainly at this age, being safe, but actually being healthy and having fun, it should be something, it's a time of life where you should be able to have fun and explore and find yourself, and I I think anything that stops that is a bad thing. So um, just to circle back to that, um, women being weaker and um, not being treated fairly, so so I'm I'm reading um, Friedrich Nietzsche just now, so um, I've always been heavily into philosophy, but more so now because of my guru friends, right? So um, he says that we can divide culture or society into hierarchical or um, equality. So we all want to think. And, and I think the training world is a bit like that as well. So your um, trainers that are a bit more about punishment and we call them compulsion. I don't really, I haven't really met many that train just by, comp- it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're, I'll call them balance trainers. They'll hate that, but anyway. Um, the balance trainers um, might like to think about things more like a hierarchical structure. So a me being at the top, dogging at the yes. underneath. Kind of a dominance-based structure. And then in mythology, it's, it's very much the same. Uh, so in a wolf pack you would have, or a wild dog pack, you'd have the parent dogs, 
and yep. then the siblings, uh, sorry, the uh, offspring would be lower, right? Um, and then the positive, only people are going to want um, equality, mm. so that structure of, you know, you're my partner, we're working together for this, which is so nice on paper. Yeah, and there's a difference between equality and equity, isn't there? Um, so, so equity is taking account of the person's uniqueness and making sure that they are not biased against in what they do because of their unique qualities. So, um, somebody who's short. Um, so, the the image that comes to mind. I'm a very visual person. We, we've talked about this the last few days because Jess has been having great fun with my visual um, visual mind. But there's an image of um, three people trying to watch a baseball match or something like that and there's a fence and there's a tall person who can see over the top of the fence and then there is equality which is putting a box underneath the middle person who is too short to see over the fence so they're high enough to see over the fence and then the third one is a short person but they've got a hole cut in the fence so they can see through the hole in the fence so you're not making them the same as the tall person you're actually adapting to their limitations Okay. So the difference between equality and equity is that, and and I think so. What we don't necessarily say that, well, we say we want equality. Women and men should be treated equal, but they shouldn't because women and men are different. Mm-hmm. But they should have equity. They should not be penalised for, you know, having to have babies or periods or something like that. So, you, you know, the things that make you female should not mean that you're penalised when in the same space as a male is. So you need equity, not equality. You don't want all women to become men so that they can fit in with that. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. And I think that, you know, if someone asked me, what, what do you think? Which one do you go with? Hierarchy or um, equality? Um, I think that the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. So we, we know from, you know, politics that um, communism would work on paper. Yeah. If we didn't have greedy faster power people, hungry people at the top. Yes. So we know that it would work in an ideal society where everybody was trying to work together. So yeah. hierarchy would work in that model. Yeah. And it does in family situations where you've got balanced parents raising balanced children. Yeah. But that doesn't work in every single family, right? Yeah. And then the equality thing, as you've just said, would work if everyone was making up for the allowances of the others and, and so on. So as being aware of the other... Um, and aware is that word again, isn't it? Aware is such an important word to everything that you do because even just acknowledging that there is an imbalance is the first step, right? So rather than barraging through it and say, let's just make it work by choosing my path, you kind of have that awareness. Well, maybe different situations. And I've had conversations with people over the last few days about, you know, taking their dogs to trainers and it, it not really working. And I'm like, that's because your dog's an individual and you're an individual. So you, yes, you've got an approach, but that approach isn't all, it's not cookie cutter. It's not always going to work for you and your dog. You know, we've had people on the walks who've got three dogs. One of them comes on the walk and they're having a real struggle with it. And the other two are absolutely fine. And they're like, what happened? And it's because it's a different dog with a different situation. And the tools that they developed for the other dogs didn't give them what they needed to work with this dog. And it's, it's that kind of understanding of, of differences and uniqueness. So I'm going to bring this together, right? Good. Excellent. Somebody has to. <laughs> I'm just drinking my coffee, which is not in my um, reusable cup because I brought oh, the so cold sad. cup and it's going cold now because I slowly drink. So um, Stockholm Syndrome, back yes. to that. Okay, good. Well done. I'm going to try and <laughs> put my thoughts together so I can get this to, to come together. So um, there's quite a lot on this, 
right? Okay. Um, so, for example, and I don't want to trigger you again, but like abused children obviously stick up for their parents because their parents are going to be so abused by the parents are going to be the safe place anyway. So mm-hmm. you, you know, you're going to have to love them even if. Right? It's really, it's really common because and we've talked about this before. Is, is that they don't know anything different is the first thing, and secondly, as a child, you're dependent and you're programmed to need love. So. However that's given, you don't have a distinction to say, well, that's not the right way of giving love. Yeah. Until you get to be an adult, and then you go, wow. So so dissociating memories, um, trying to avoid rejecting the parent as much as you can, because it's important for your survival, yep. things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things I was thinking about for Stockholm Syndrome was that we need to talk about mirror neurons. So if we're hanging around somebody enough, if you've got a hostage situation that would last a while, yep. Um, I don't suppose there is a, a time limit actually, because what I'm seeing in people and dogs, what we're seeing on the groups, uh, most certainly is mirror neurons. So, um, do you want to give me your sort of um, summary of what mirror neurons are? Yeah, and I'm not sure that mirror neurons is exactly the right space. So it, it said that we're a fact. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hang up on her. Don't silence her, her recording. Yes. Um. So. So, mirror, um, well, it says here on Wikipedia, a mirror neuron fires uh, both when an animal acts and when an animal observes the same action performed by another. Yes, so so that is action-based. Um, so, hang on, please. I'm going to keep this recording and I'm going to see... Um, so my, you can do that and I'll just keep yeah, talking. So, so, so my child doesn't have money in their lunch thing, so I can do that, so... <laughs> so yes. Real this life. So, yeah, my take is that We've got um, the the actions that we're seeing um, performed um, by people, so we're people, and the dogs are doing the same thing with other dogs, which is why my dogs are so useful for this, so that they're observing what's going on and they start to copy. So uh, I'm really hugely, for many years now, been interested in, in imitation uh, as a, a form of learning, and I've yes. been playing around with it with my own dogs, to the point where I'm four generations in now, and it's almost like... I don't even have to train the puppies anymore. They just they just watch the adults do it and they copy within seconds. It's just so easy. It's like I can't even describe to you how easy it is compared to your average puppy that I meet. Yeah. Um. So, mirror neurons to me are the I'm I'm imitating behaviour and my brain starts to copy what you're doing. And we also know that when we live with somebody with depression or anxiety, we tend to end up with similar yeah. problems. Yeah. So we become what we're around, basically. In short, yeah. Yeah. So um. The, it, it is action-based, so a mirror neuron, I think I always think of neurons and things like that as little little characters that live in your brain, little bugs um, live in your brain, and they're going, woo! <laughs> so it's like, if you see me yawn, my mirror neurons go, woo you know, your mirror neurons go, we're yawning, and you yawn. If, if we smile, um, then the mirror neurons go, woo we're smiling. So the mirror neurons are just copying what they see. So, um, for example... Um, in a neurotypical person. Actually, in anybody. Um, well, what I'm saying that is because I've met a lot of autistic children who, who will not copy that and reciprocate that. Um, and my brain immediately picks up on that when I meet a child. That, that it's what's, um, so it's what you do next that we're talking about there. Um, so um, there's an automatic process, right, where it's like body language, right? I mean, if I wasn't sitting here trying to do something on my phone, my arms would probably be folded right now because your arms are folded. I wouldn't even think about it, it's just an automatic process. It's a subconscious driven process, the mirror neurons are. 
Um, and the power in that is that um, the, like for example, if somebody's had a stroke, for example, and a huge swathe of their brain has been damaged so they're unable to do a particular thing, then there are multiple ways for them to learn and grow new bits of brain to do that thing. One of them is through repetition, which we know creates um, new pathways. But equally, um, I could watch you, let's say it was lifting a cup, I could watch you lifting a cup and my mirror neurons will create the pathway for lifting a cup in my brain so that I will learn to lift a cup as well. So mirror neurons are observation-based, action-based things. There is a thing with mood there in, to some degree, but there isn't necessarily a thing, you know, there's Stockholm Syndrome with identifying with that person and feeling um, kind of sympathy toward them, feeling like they're a good person. It's not necessarily mirror neurons. Well, yeah, I understand that because otherwise, um, if we were living with somebody long enough, we would just accept them, right? And yeah. there's lots of people that get divorced have lived together for a long time. Yeah. Um, but we do have little idiosyncrasies from couples, and I, I see it like a mile off when people are, are um, I guess I'm now becoming an expert on body language people as well. <laughs> so that's it. what happens, isn't it? Um, yeah, and so you, do you see it as well with couples, and they have the this, this same little, um, it's, really, it's really quite cute, but also really annoying, like, be yourself, <laughs> be your own person. Well, that's, that's what that, that thing that's actually really good for kids as well, which is that knowing that you're a factor of the six people that you spend the most time with, like who am I going to choose to be right so if you're in a toxic relationship for example with a friend who is just draining you then you know that is going to create your environment and create your sense of self to some degree so the more time you spend with that person the more like them you become so you can kind of go who do I spend my most time with and, and is that okay are those are the sort of person people I want to be with you know it's like for me it's like the would I go for a coffee with that person question you know it's somebody's not really going to be much of a friend for me if they're not the sort of person I'd want to sit here and have a chat with in a coffee shop. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, a, they're an acquaintance but not really a friend. A friend is somebody that I would be more than happy to kind of go, yeah, let's go for a coffee with. So um, in physics, there's another sort of similar thing. So this is neuro, mirror neurons are from neurobiology, right? Yeah. So in physics, there's another thing that's a bit um, out of this world. Energy-based. Yeah, so it's called quantum entanglement. That's how I describe love. Quantum entanglement. Well, yeah, just around something enough, and then so, um, yeah, I'll I'll just read out to you what what the two different ones, right? So, uh, Wikipedia says it's the physical phenomenon that occurs when a group of particles are generated, interact, share spatial proximity in a way that quantum state of each particle of the group cannot be described independently. Become the same, right? Um, and Science Exchange says when two particles, such as a pair of photons or electrons, become entangled, they remain connected even when separated by vast distances. Interesting. How does that work then? How does that work then? Science, baby. <laughs> well, that's not an answer, is it? Well, you know, stuff pings in and out of existence. All you know, like parts of our body are pinging in and out of existence somewhere else in the universe. This is how I struggle to go through general life, knowing that nothing's actually <laughs> real, that we're just all perceptions of some kind oh, of weird... Oh, it is. Nothing's real. That's, that is true. So, so, yeah, it's interesting. And actually, I'm having a discussion about love right now with my cousin. Okay. So, um, and we're having a discussion about God and love and faith and religion. And God. This is not my strength. It's not, actually. The conversation's more about love than it is anything else. So, okay. So... You're not turning religious on me. No, not at all. Um, but it's a really interesting concept to think about how people feel religion and feel faith and experience it. 
um, or believe in it. Belief is a really interesting thing. So love, how would you describe love? Like chemically, or? I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting the way your, your first answer, right? Your first answer is like <laughs> chemically. It's like I want to do the science one. I, I just told you, quantum entanglement. That's why I describe love. <laughs> well, I told That's you. Stupid question. <laughs> so how would I describe it? Um, as a feeling of well-being that encompasses you and makes you feel great about yourself. Oh, that's interesting. Ha, there you go. And Took on the spot for that as well. <laughs> therefore, love is something that is internal, not external. Absolutely. You can't tell how the person feels about you. So a good example for you would be somebody waiting for a callback because they've had a date with a... Uh, I'm going to say a guy, right? So I'm thinking about having a... I've had a date with a guy and I'm waiting on the callback and I'm really feeling good about myself because it went really well. But I have no idea how he perceived it. So say he had a really crap time. Never happened. But see, <laughs> I'm really good at dates. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> stop laughing. Hey, I've got a tiny bit of dog. <laughs> um, so I'm really good at dates because I know that people just want to speak about themselves. Yes. I've literally had dates before. I've not dated for a while, but I've had dates before where you just talk about them. And you, if you don't like them, you just deflect the questions back yes. to them. And they don't even notice. So no. you leave and you're like, they know nothing about me. They it's really funny. They had a really good conversation. They had a great time, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'd have to have somebody that was like understanding and then I would just wouldn't be annoyed at them. Like imagine dating myself. How freaking annoying would that be? <laughs> <laughs> just going in circles. Well, where, did we go from? where did we come love. from? What love means, it's an internal thing. So the person, you're waiting on the, the guy getting back to you and he's got a completely different perception. So he's like, oh, this is really awkward. I don't want to get back to her. But I'm still feeling full of love so full of these great feelings is actually oxytocin um until i get the confirmation that he's not interested yeah so showing a cat's love absolute great example so the love that you feel isn't from him it's no. that you've given it to yourself it's a feeling it's That's an internal my feeling so showing his cat is um, a thought experiment or a physics experiment. everybody claims it um, where you put a cat in a box with poison and until you open the lid, you don't know whether the cat's alive or dead. That's the basic. It's both, right? Yeah, it's both. And, and, it can be both states. And the it's the time. answer for me to everything. You, you need to have everything in your mind, the possibilities. <laughs> don't ever pick a side. Just go, everything is possible. We don't know the truth. So um, I will share the picture on the, um, on the podcast image. Um, I have these things called blob cards. And um, sometimes Jess posts things. And, and on her Facebook and it's like tell me you feel this way without telling me you feel this way and it'll show a picture that was the <laughs> octopus one wasn't it um, you know so you show a picture to say something where you don't have to and blob cards are really cool the the feelings blob cards which are in a green box you can get them off Amazon and the the blob men you know like a stick man doesn't really show you very much right it's really hard to express any sort of emotion in a stick man so they're kind of rounder than stick men um, and they've got all these different pictures and some of them are happy and some of them are kind of sad and um, when I'm working with kids I get them to pick the three ones that are most like them so they don't have to name it they don't have to define it they can just kind of go um, this is me you know and they can pick it out and it really gives you an easy way of getting to the bottom of how something so without having to talk about your feelings without having to talk about your feelings having to label your feelings or even understand your feelings you can go yeah that's me so I was uh, I was talking to uh, Jess about it yesterday when she showed me an octopus uh, <laughs> that they found in a, a toy shop, one of these ones that goes angry and turn it inside out and it's happy. And the card that she picked out is like a guy standing with his arms up, looking a bit confused, with a swirl and a question mark around his head. And on one side there's a sun, on one side there's a cloud. And she's like, yeah, that's me, right? That, that, that's me. And um, <laughs> it's really interesting. So, so you can see the question what, mark is, why are we here? 
and the sun and the rain on, on either side is um, sometimes it feels good sometimes it feels yeah. shit and also that's the light side that's the dark side so we're constantly <laughs> living in yin and yang right yeah yeah and that, that's what's going on in your head all the time so it's an interesting when you ask a question like what is love you know and the schrodinger's cat thing it's like it could be anything right i could be in any state and and in a moment something i could it could tip me to one side or the other side based on what i think about or learn or what we talk about or whatever and it, it's an interesting question so so i want you all to think about what what you would say love was if you were asked that question and i put you on the spot in the same way well, so we're gonna have to hear your version yeah and, and my version's gonna screw everything up because <laughs> i don't know what love is oh i don't i i can so i, I realized the other day um in a conversation that um i struggle with i've always struggled with emotions mostly because i kind of block them off and i don't I don't acknowledge them, um, but also because everything's got a risk to me, everything ends up with hurt, and I, I don't risk believing things like that. So um, it was described to me as I'm just used to taking the blows, so I've got kind of quite good defence over things like that, which I thought was quite a, a good way of describing it. So for me, um, love is pain, love is hurt, love is betrayal, love is um, being let down not mattering, being insignificant, all those sort of things. And love is way too risky to go anywhere near. So I can observe anything externally to me. I can I can externalize all these feelings. I can I can feel love for the people around me. I can um, I can understand how people can feel that, but you put it inside of me and it becomes a mess. It just gets mushed up with all the stuff. So I feel like there's a couple of songs you need to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> that how do we song? What is love? Is the first one. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So surely you've got a, a, a base though of what other people are telling you what love is. So love comes from the inside, right? Yeah. We just agreed that with you. Yeah. Right? So I don't have an internal measure other than huge I understand, risk. but um, you've also got what your thoughts are and then the rest of the universes. So if it doesn't um, compute if it doesn't fit. So if I was told, like, for example, um, I was brought up in a certain religion or something, yep. and then one day I went, oh, these guys I'm hanging around with all don't believe, and um, this is a really bad example because I would still not believe it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have to break your religion basically. This is what's going to have to happen. So I have, I have no faith or no belief. I'm not, you know, I'm. I'm um, agnostic in terms of belief. I'm, I'm talking about it as an analogy. So your religion yep. is about love. Yeah. And so everybody else might be saying this is not correct to you, but you're still going to believe your version. Yeah. And so, so the, the conversation about faith and love was that, you know, to some people, God represents love. And I feel like I segued that really nicely for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a really interesting conversation. It's a really interesting conversation from a theoretical, a philosophical point of view. And then it's a really interesting conversation when you bring it down to the brass tacks of what it's meant in your life and you know particularly for me where it's a for me it's a really triggering word and i don't have you know i guess it's something that i always wanted but don't feel i've ever had and the time that i felt i was loved the person which was my mother that i thought did love me was the one that betrayed me most so for me it's like i can't trust myself to know what love is I certainly can't allow the concept that somebody would love me to enter. Have you ever read The Compassionate Mind? No. So I, I read it, um, it's, a, it's a big book as well. Um, oh, no. I know. <laughs> you read that, that human nature one yet that I gave you? Yeah, it's a toilet book. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's hilarious because that's where it was. My old boyfriend used to keep it there. 
if you want a bloke, like if you're a woman listening and you want a guy to read a book that you think is a really good book that's important for them to read, don't even suggest they read the book, just leave it in the toilet. They'll <laughs> read it and, you know, it'll get read and you'll be able to talk about it afterwards. I don't understand the whole concept of reading in the bathroom because I'm like in and out of there really quickly. Yeah, yeah, me too, but um, men tend to spend a lot longer in the bathroom. Why do they do women. that? I don't want to know actually. Yeah, yeah, let's not. We've already <laughs> had too many dog discussions around the subject. I was talking about anal glands at the education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dawn was like turned pale. Yeah. <laughs> I have a really visual mind. I keep telling people this and they don't get it. Dog butts are cute though. That, see? No. Stop now. We were talking about love. We were talking. This was supposed to be a fun. How did we end up going so heavy again? <laughs> Good God. Oh, that's time, look. Yeah, look at that. It's like nearly an hour. So we're we're coming up with a better ending for our podcast because we just. How about just like love you guys? Do you do you feel love from your daughter? Does your daughter love you? Well, I know my daughter loves me. I don't feel. I feel external. It gets as far as inside. And then it gets mushed up when it gets even inside. Okay. So the compassionate mind. I was reading it. This is going to go on now. Sorry. <laughs> we, we did mean to end, and then we're just going to keep going. So we could stop and do another one, I suppose. Um, if you keep it under an hour, people listen more or something. I don't know. Actually, it's working out all right. I'm looking at the analytics, and people don't care. People That's don't good. Care. They just kind of go, "Oh my God, what are they talking about now?" <laughs> Quick, refill the coffee. Put it on pause. Is this going to be evidence for us getting locked up in cars view or something? So, um, no, nobody gets into cars for you. <laughs> Another topic. Right, so the, the Compassionate Mind, a fantastic right. book. And it finally made me understand because there was a section on it about well-being and how love, air quotes, because I don't believe in it either because it's just a, a chemical you know, feeling. But it was talking about how it, uh, love, that feeling you allow yourself to have, boosts your immune system. Yes. So... If you can sort, uh, sort out your your mushiness where it goes inside, um, when it gets mushed up, you said. I'm trying to use your words. Well done. That's what we do as therapists. Um, so when it gets mushed up inside, if you can teach it to be unmushed, then you'll have a, a better um, immune system and, and sense of well-being. So there's a guy called Dawson Church, who I, I think might be Australian, but or maybe he's American. I'm doing him as <laughs> justice, whatever. But um, He's a geneticist, and but he's a geneticist that's into all the tapping stuff. And he did a study of tapping to see. So everybody's trying to work out why tapping works so well. So tapping is where you um, tap at certain points in your body, you know, tap, 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 tap with two fingers. And at the same time as tapping, you say an affirmation. And the affirmation is, even though, which we've talked about before, it's a power phrase, right? Even though, which acknowledges the state I'm in, plus the possibility that there's a different state. So even though I'm in this state, I can be in this one. Even though I feel this way, I release and let go of this feeling. So tapping is basically you're sending an electrical signal into an activated area of your brain whilst making a statement that says, even though I feel this way, I can release and let go of this feeling or something like that, right? So there's been lots of studies to try and move it out of woo-woo into something that's a bit more scientific. It's not woo-woo for me because um, I've done a... um done a lot of reading and I've also done a, a course on um, shiatsu so that's your pressure point yes I just I just recently I need to tell Jennifer this um, I found out somebody had a, a strap on their arm oh. and it was a pressure point hay for fever. hay fever oh. and that was amazing right so um, yeah I totally get that bit and then you're combining it almost with um, repetitions of affirmations which will subconsciously if you do it enough not enough repetitions convince your brain that's the idea well right? so for me it's about pathways again 
So when you're in an emotional state, the pathway's lit up. You know, it's activated. And if you go zap, 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 you disrupt the pathway. So they looked at whether tapping on its own was enough. So then the affirmation is creating the new pathway. Yes, and the affirmation is kind of sliding off to a different sideway, right? So um, they looked at, is tapping enough? And they looked at affirmations enough. And what they found was kind of, but if you do them both together, it's really powerful. And they're just researching this now. So, so that kind of thing about disrupting the pathways, that's my thing. It's not something they talk about in the same way. But so the Genesis <coughs> Dawson Church did a study on it. And what they did was they took a bunch of people who just did relaxation tapping, you know, feel calm and relaxed for a week. And they measured a bunch of stuff. They measured cortisol, stress hormone, and they measured um, things called immunoglobulins, globulins, which are the immune response in your body. I call them goblins because it's easier to say. And there's a key one. <laughs> Jess has got her head in her hands the now. The biologist and me put my head in my hands. Yeah, goblins though. Carry so on. much easier. Immunoglobulins. <laughs> I mean, who could say that? Um, so um, there's one called DHEA, which is the um, activated immune response. So they did tapping for a week and they measured those two things. Cortisol reduced by 63% over the space of a week for just tapping for relaxation. Interesting, the DHEA went up by 113% in the space of a week. So your immune response was boosted, your cortisol was reduced. Surely just that's evidence enough for you to go, let's get over this love thing. Yeah. Do you feel love for your let's cat? Let's get over this love thing. Do you feel love for your cat? Um, I feel affection for my cat. What was the difference between love and affection? Affection is a behaviour. <laughs> I know. See, Jess is tipping her head sideways now. I did, did the German Shepherd. I did the German Shepherd. She needs ears that kind of wiggle. She wears a cowboy hat, so what you need is like a little. She's got a little um, toggle thingy on it now to strap on it to stop it blowing up in the wind. So what you need is that toggle to have ears attached, so you can do dog ears while you're talking. Okay. That would be really cool. But nobody could see it. Get Ashley on it. Um, <laughs> and, we're, and we're too ugly for film, so. So, so the the difficulty that I have. Thanks. Is <laughs> recognise what gesture, sir. Um, is the complexity of where all this stuff comes from. So for me, it's it's a big tangled mess. You can't. There is a thread there to pull, and I keep pulling on the threads. And sometimes the thread just goes ping, and like all sorts of stuff is released, like a game of kaplunk. Um, you all know kaplunk, right? It's the sticks and the marbles, and you put the marbles in, and you pull the sticks out. And, uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> so. Um, Are you held together by sticks and marbles? I think it's far more tenuous than that, but it's such a complex thing that what happens. See, I think it's more like Jenga with you. I think you've got really solid, you know, every day is really, e- like, not easy, sorry, that's terrible. Every day is really solid, um, yep. but there's there's bits that you can poke and they go, oh, that's a bit, like, loose, but all together, the structures. Yeah, so that's the assumption with Jenga is that you're going to remove one brick at some point and the whole lot's going to collapse. And I don't think that's true either. See, I'm thinking like, like an early game of Jenga, not like a later yeah, yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's true, right? So, so it's. Thank you. <laughs> it's a friendly Starbucks person trying to check if everything's okay. Like, no, we're having a really intense conversation. Um, I think that's that's the difficult. So it's true. I'm really solid, right? And and actually, I think it confuses people when they see the fragile side of me because I'm not fragile, right? But there are some things where it all kind of goes wobbly instantly. Yeah. So, yeah, I am really solid. And I can actually totally live my life fine in the state that I'm in right now. This state I'm in right now is fine. I could live the rest of my life like this. 
absolutely fine. But I am not the sort of person that can stop poking the bloody bear. You know, it's like because I know. Also, the the bear isn't like a it's a present it's a present bear, right? Yeah, it's not it's not fine. It's not. It's not a past bear. It's a present bear. Yeah, yeah. The bear that won't leave. (laughs) The bear that's following you. Let's go going too far now. It's not working. We've got Jenga, Kaplunk, and a bear. I mean, like, what is going on for a person with a visual mind like mine? It's like, you never what? got back to me. I told you about this game that I found. That's yes. cool. Yes. Herd, Herd mentality. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited. I bought it for the name. <laughs> I, I was good. waiting for you to tell me more about it. Oh, you're like, you're going to really like what this game's about, and then you said <laughs> nothing else. Sorry. So, but no, Articulate is my favourite game. Okay. If you play Articulate with anybody that you know, it's the most fun game that you can ever have. It's um. Because you, you can explain, you know that time where we did that thing? And they'll go, oh, it's that. You know, whereas if you watch two people who don't know each other very well, so watch it, playing it with couples or playing it with really good friends, it's hysterical. Best game ever for seeing how relationships work. We played Card Against Humanity with my parents. That was awkward. I've never played that, actually. You don't want to. It's just all sexual in you. Yeah, I know. I play Exploding Kittens, which is just... So good at that. Oh, yeah. I've got all the extra packs. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you could play that. Of course you could. It's about cats. <laughs> oh my god, we have to have a... A games night. Uh, right. uh, on a podcast. A games night on the table in a Starbucks. Nobody will learn With anything. the podcast. And they'll be like, what the heck are you guys doing? That'll be one of those ones with a massive drop-off rate of the listeners. <laughs> right. Right, are we done here? We're done here. So that We're, is... I've got some stuff to work on with you about love and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. We'll like learn to fix Dawn. How many podcasts do you need to fix Dawn? Yeah, yeah. Okay, answers in the comments. How many podcasts do you think it'll take to fix Dawn? You know, so I turned 50 this year, just as a clue. Oh, that's good. By 50, we'll teach you what love is. Okay. I'm so going to just send you loads of songs on Spotify. You're going to be like, oh my God, everything that's got love in it. Like so title. I'm a visual person, not an audio person, right? So my child will listen to music and cry. So we watched Mitski at Glastonbury, right? Which was, oh my God, that woman. Like, all the songs sound the same, but my child sat there in front of the telly crying, listening to the lyrics of Mitski. And I'm like, I don't even know what the words were. I'm just listening to the funny dance that she does and the tune and stuff like that. So you can send me as many songs as you want, but they don't get in my head. Interesting, okay. Songs do not get anywhere near my head. Art will do it then. Art possibly would do it. Art will do it. Mm. I'm going to draw you some stuff. Okay, well, that's a challenge. So so we'll share that with you guys, right? (laughs) What Jess draws to get me to understand love. That will be really interesting for all of us. Anyway, good note. Um, (laughs) We'll speak to you all again soon about something.